Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Good morning, and welcome to another edition of Better Living, a show that focuses on people and organizations making an impact in North Texas. I'm your host, Chris Arnold of 105.3 The Fan, and joining us this first this morning is Athena Trenton. She's the executive director of NAMI North Texas. How are you doing, uh, Athena? I'm doing great today, Chris. Thank you for having me. Oh, I, I love visiting with you. In fact, it was good to see you a couple of weeks ago, and I appreciate the brownie over there uh, as you were at the uh, studios here at uh, Odyssey. Oh, yeah. We had a fabulous event to kick off our walk, and we are so honored that you were able to join us and glad you liked the brownies. Oh, yeah, for sure. The cookies, the brownies, everything was wonderful. For those who aren't familiar with NAMI, NAMI is the National Alliance on Mental Illness. It's the nation's largest grassroots mental health organization dedicated to building lives for millions of Americans affected by mental illness. So with that in mind, let's start there. For for those who aren't totally familiar with NAMI, can you talk about NAMI and what it's done nationwide and how you got involved? Absolutely. So um, as you mentioned, we are a mental health organization, and we are nationwide. We have a national organization that kind of oversees um, federal-level legislation and advocates for better mental health services Mm -hmm. and funding for mental health. They also are the umbrella organization for all of the state and local affiliates. And each state has their own state affiliate that works um, similarly on the legislative level, but at the state, um, advocating for appropriate mental health services and funding. And they also help the local organizations like us here at NAMI North Texas mm-hmm. implement all of the programs and services that uh, NAMI National has created. And so what we are here in North Texas, we serve Denton, Collin, Dallas, and Rockwall counties. We also have a NAMI Tarrant County that serves the west end of the Metroplex and a NAMI Dallas southern sector that serves uh, the southern area of Dallas County. And all of our organizations work together to make sure that we have no-cost support services for anyone or their families who 
experience mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Um, NAMI is one of the only organizations in the United States that actually has a very robust group of programs for the family members of um, people with mental health conditions, recognizing that the family members are just as affected as that person who's experienced maybe anxiety, depression, um, and anything all the way up to schizophrenia, bipolar. Um, we cover all the whole spectrum of mental health disorders, and the services that we provide are range from classes and support groups at no cost to anyone who joins them. We also have, um, we go into businesses in the area and talk to people about mental health in the workplace. That has been especially popular um, throughout the pandemic. The demand for that has significantly increased because of the isolation of everybody working Mm -hmm. from home. And we also have this amazing event in May every year in honor of Mental Health Awareness Month. And NAMIs all across the country have a walk where there's peer fundraising involved, which helps us raise money to continue to offer high-quality, no-cost services to the community. And um, it's really, you know, and it's not just about money. It's about a day of gathering, Mm -hmm. reducing stigma, raising awareness, and showing everybody that there is a place for you. There is a place where you don't have to worry about what people you know, think about you if you have a mental illness or let's say you're a parent of an adult child with schizophrenia and that person is, you know, not accepting care at this moment and you're not quite sure where to turn to. Well, the first thing you can do is be part of one of our events, see that there's other people out there and know that there's people who know exactly what you're going through, maybe further along in the recovery process and have, you know, already experienced some things and they can help you. And it, when I was hired for this position, we were told, or I, it was very ingrained in me that if you're hired for, to run this organization, we run it like a family. Mm-hmm. This isn't just a service organization. We are a community. We are a family. And since the pandemic began, um, it, it was before the pandemic, it was estimated that one in five adults um, experience mental illness in the average year. Mm-hmm. It's now estimated that it's one in three, but five out of five have been affected, be it a family member, be it a friend, a coworker. Everybody has experienced it in some way or another. I'm so glad so, you brought up the, the pandemic and the numbers since we've been in this new normal. And and I'll, let's just step back just a second because I think I think a lot of people – are not really stigmatizing mental wellness anymore like they used to. I think it used to be the biggest secret of a family. Even though you had somebody that you knew that might be stressed or have anxiety, you didn't either know how to deal with it or it was just, oh, well, she's different or he's different or he's not right. And you didn't know where to turn. And I think now that, like you said, the pandemic has happened, I think a lot of people seriously understand that mental wellness or mental health is something that can be solved and is something that happens to a lot of people. And it's not some dirty secret or something that should harm your career or harm your, your uh, interactions with your family. Am I wrong? 
Exactly. If there's anything, you know, positive that has come out of this pandemic, Mm -hmm. the silver lining is that everybody's talking about it now. It's not as taboo of a subject. Um, It helps that, you know, higher profile people are coming out and saying, hey, it affects me too, which normalizes it. Right. And it's showing that it can happen to anyone. And again, it's various degrees of anxiety, stress, and to the far extreme, some schizophrenia. But the fact that people can talk, and I think that's part of the solution, right? Having conversations. Exactly. It's, you know, it's not just normalizing. It's, it's learning how to communicate what's happening with you. That's right. what a lot of our classes do in our support groups. If you're not quite sure how to ask somebody, you know, I'm concerned about you. I think something's wrong. Join one of our family support groups. It's not just for family members. It's mm-hmm. for any loved one. And they can help you find the right language to use to help get somebody to the, it may not even be clinical care, just join our peer support group and just get that first step in into, you know, that self-awareness. And, and I'll just give you my instance, mm-hmm. you know, what I experienced because it, it's funny. When I was hired at NAMI, I kept my interview for this position. They kept asking me what my story was. Mm-hmm. I'm like, my story, if I had a story, you wouldn't hire me. You wouldn't think I could do this job. And what I didn't know is it was such a serendipitous opportunity to join this organization because I found out I have a story. And as a teenager, I mean, even as a little kid, I remember getting very sharp pains in my stomach and not knowing why. And as a teenager, I had suicidal ideations. I had anxiety. I had depression. It affected me significantly but it was blown off as, oh, she's going through puberty. She's a teenager. She'll grow out of it. And so that is the attitude I took with me into adulthood, that someday I'd grow out of it, that it was not its own physical condition that I needed to see a doctor for. It was something I just had to deal with until it went away. And so I always had something else to blame my panic attacks on. Mm-hmm. And... It wasn't until I started working with NAMI that I actually admitted, you know what, I'm a peer in this organization. I'm somebody who actually does struggle with mental health, but I'm one of those people who were, I don't know if you could call it non-believer or, you know, I'm, I need to just push through this because Mm -hmm. people won't see me the same way and I'm going to hide it. And it wasn't until I married my husband and moved down here to Dallas that It really became evident to me because I was single my whole life. And when I had those moments where my anxiety was too high or my depression was so great that I couldn't get out of bed, I hid. I lived alone. Nobody knew. And then when I felt better, I'd come back out. And nobody knew the wiser. And I hid it for many, many years into my 40s. And I couldn't hide anymore since I was living with somebody 24-7. And... NAMI made such a difference in my life to be more self-aware, to know how to express what's happening to me, to my husband, and help him understand how to work with me as well. Could you say that there are a lot of people, and see, I love the way you're sharing your story because that's how people learn that, wow, I'm not the only one, or this is not unusual, that there is something we can do about this. So I'm, I'm really, Athena, I'm really glad you're able to share your story. 
but you're you're going down a path that I really want to explore because there's a lot of people out there they have a fear that it may affect their career if they were to speak up or to seek treatment or have or seek help because I think they think okay it's so it's showing a sign of instability mm-hmm. I thought for many, many years, if I admitted that I had a mental health issue, I was weak mm-hmm. and there was no way I was, you know, I was raised to be a very strong woman and defy odds and break barriers and not let anything stand in my way Sure. Um, as a minority woman, mm-hmm. I, I identify as indigenous. Mm-hmm. And um, so that almost kind of got in the way too, of me recognizing that, you know, mental wellness is part of your entire physical wellness. And it's really important to normalize this conversation enough so we can say just like I have to go get my yearly physical, I have to go see my psychiatrist today mm-hmm. and I'll be right back. Why can't we just say that out loud like we would anything else? Exactly, because it's it's just like you said, it's part of your, your well-being. And I think like we were just starting off, the, the pandemic has opened up a lot of people's eyes because a lot of people were alone or isolated or they weren't in group settings like they were before, whether it was the office, where, whether it was their job, wherever their job may be. They weren't using their usual their schedule, you know, take the kids to school, go to work, pick up the kids, or, or go to the restaurant for dinner. Everything was kind of flipped. Can you talk about, like you, you, were, you were going into it a little bit earlier, about how all of a sudden, more people started realizing that they needed to take care of their mental wellness, their mental health, and that how that started opening some doors and, and making people actually take care, better care of themselves. Yeah, I think one important point to make is, you know, before the pandemic, people would ask us, you know, what signs should I look for in my child or mm-hmm. in my husband to find out if, there, there is a mental health issue going on, and it's isolation. One of the number one um, stressors mm-hmm. or number one symptoms is self-isolation. We were all, the whole world was forced into self-isolation all at the same time, and not enough people had the technology to stay connected or knew how to use it or felt connected through technology. Um, a great instance is um, I used to work a lot with international students, and there are cultures that are much more physically affectionate. Mm-hmm. And I had a student from Argentina. Lots of hugs. Lots of hugs. <laughs> exactly. He just wanted people to hug him. And he really missed that. And this was, you know, 15 years ago. But his, you know, main experience when he first came to the United States and the culture shock was, I just wanted somebody to stand closer to me than an arm's length away. Give me a hug. And that created a lot of culture shock and homesickness for him. Imagine people from those cultures being isolated and maybe never, ever having, you know, an instance where they thought maybe I need help with my mental illness, with my mental Mm -hmm. health. And, you know, so many people who are used to, you know, you have big families, close families, you can't see your family. All of those changes and all of those support systems were completely broken. And so you're isolated. You don't have your normal support system. There's massive changes around the world. Uncertainty, fear, 
and all of that together, I, you know, I would not be surprised if 100% of everybody who experienced this pandemic could refer back to at least a point in time temporarily where the anxiety was high enough to, you know, be to warrant, you know, seeing a therapist mm-hmm. or going to a support group. And I can tell you the demand on our services significantly increased. And it was mostly family members saying, what do I do? I've never experienced this before. My husband has never acted this way before. How do I help him? And um, so one of our you know, most prominent services is our helpline to call our offices and say, where do I start? Or where are, what services are available? I need to get my loved one help. When you say, you know, people were noticing the loved one was acting differently, there's, is there a, a quote-unquote pattern or is there a different behavior? Because sometimes people say, oh, he's, he's sad now. He seems more sad or he seems more stressed out. But sometimes people get angry. I noticed mm-hmm. that, you know, during this pandemic especially, a lot of people who were more civil, they just became more angry. Yeah, the irritability, your tolerance level goes down because you you have no outlet Mm -hmm. for that anxiety, that uncertainty. And without that outlet, you know, a lot of people, they they hadn't experienced that much stress before. And, you know, maybe they used to go to the gym to relieve stress and they couldn't go to the gym anymore. Mm -hmm. And they didn't have a workout room at home. You know, there were places, I have family in England, they weren't even allowed to go out and take walks for a while or only certain times of the day or only two people at a time or, you know, the restrictions that were placed on us were just unprecedented. And the stress that it created, I'm sure there are many people who had no idea what was happening with themselves. It can also provoke physical Yes. Um, ailments. Just like I said, as a kid, I had constant stomach aches because mm-hmm. of my anxiety, um, lethargy, overeating, undereating, high blood pressure. Yeah, exactly. Anything that any kind of stressor could do to your body. So if you are not, if you don't take care of your mental wellness, it turns into physical ailments. It can turn into high blood pressure. It can turn into heart disease. It can. There's just so many things that could be affected or prevented. Mm-hmm. We're talking with Athena Trenton. She's the executive director of NAMI North Texas. And on the corporate side, or not even just the corporate side, the business side, the, the, the small business side, the large business side, I think, I think companies started being aware of mental wellness and, and mental well-being because of the pandemic. Because, as you mentioned, a lot of people are doing more Zoom meetings or the Wi-Fi would break down or they're not able to interact. Can you talk about the reactions that you were receiving or some of the outreach you've been support you've been receiving from uh, those on the business side because they want their staffs and their employees to be happier? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we had a, a major increase in requests both with local small businesses and um, businesses that were headquartered here, but they, like AT&T, invited everybody nationally mm-hmm. to because we could, because we were on Zoom. And so we'd have a few hundred people. I, actually, I even had one international where I had people from the Ukraine and um, Great Britain. Wow. 
And thoughts uh, and prayers to those in Ukraine. Seriously. I know, right? Yeah. And it, it was just amazing the questions that they would have. And they're just like, how do I, I'm managing a team and how do I make sure my team is doing okay? Mm-hmm. And I noticed in a lot of these presentations that I was doing that people didn't have their video on. We rely so much on nonverbal communication and nonverbal communication is the majority of communication, you know, the pieces of the communication. Um, if you know, only 7% of communication is the, the words really? that we use. Yeah, I understand what you mean about eye contact, nodding of the mm-hmm. head, shrugging of the shoulders, um, pointing your finger or, or, or mm-hmm. waving. I, I, I feel what you're saying. Yeah, and I'll give you a good example. And I used this once it happened with my staff in these presentations to the companies that we worked with. I had a staff member who was always our comedic relief. Mm-hmm. And we were having a staff meeting, a Zoom meeting, and she started, she wasn't talking much, but she left her camera on. And this is the only way I would have known something was up. She told she had a hoodie on and she put the hoodie over her face and pulled the strings and she'd keep her head down and her whole head and her face covered the whole time. And then when she talked, she'd kind of lift her face up so that we could hear her and talk to us. And she sounded normal, sounded completely normal. But when she'd stop talking, she'd pull the hoodie back down. And I would have never known otherwise if wow. that camera was not on. And so I called her afterwards. I said, hey, what's going on? And this was very early in the pandemic, and she said, my cousin just died of COVID. Oh, wow. And I would not have known I mm-hmm. needed to support her, and I would not have known why she wasn't getting her work done. Because I, would, you know, I wasn't there in the office every day to say, hey, is this mm-hmm. done? Is this done? And I needed to be able to see her pulling that hoodie over her head. And so you experienced the di- disconnect, like right there with your staff, uh, uh, individual, exactly. like you said, who was the life of the party, or at least uh, elevated everybody's emotions and feelings most of the time in person. And there she was struggling with a death in her family. Mm-hmm. And she's from um, a background where family is very, very close knit, yeah. and even a second or a third cousin is still immediate family to them. Wow. So it hit them very hard. And this was when none of us really knew what COVID was yet. Mm-hmm. And so they're all very, they were all very scared. And so that was one of the big takeaways that I wanted to make sure that pretty much anybody we were doing that type of a talk with, whether it was businesses, whether it was community organizations, is just make sure the cameras are on. Yes. You know what? I'm glad you brought that up as well because I wanted to talk about this too. I'm sure you guys have met with some teachers, and I always call teachers the real heroes anyway. But during the pandemic when they were doing a lot of classwork on Zoom and Teams, I felt so bad for the teachers because I felt bad for the teachers and the students because the students – a lot of them were like alone in their rooms and either they were either asleep or they were not focused. They had stuff going on in the households or maybe their Wi-Fi wasn't good enough. But the teachers had to try to fight through to try to get to try to engage the students. And I was wondering 
if you had an uptick in teachers who are reaching out to NAMI? Yes. Um, talk about unsung heroes, just trying to make sure kids still have that yeah. you know, socialization, the education that they need. And, you know, the whole world is behind a year. Mm-hmm. All, all of the kids are behind True. a year in school. True. But we're very fortunate. We have a retired teacher who runs our youth programs. So we were able to be connected to schools and, you know, we were able to still continue to provide, it's called Ending the Silence. We have um, an early intervention program for middle school and high schoolers Mm -hmm. where we go into the school and we have a parent version, a student version, as well as a staff version where we get the conversation going and we let everybody know, hey, it's okay if you're not okay. Mm-hmm. Especially right now, you're just not, you know, nobody's okay right now. And here's how you talk about it. Here's how you let somebody know. Um, teachers, here's what you can look for in your students. You know, major changes in behavior, mm-hmm. changes in grades. Isolation. Make sure they leave their camera on if it's a Zoom teacher meeting. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so um, we, we have been talking about developing support groups specifically for teachers because mm-hmm. they have a very unique experience. They've had a unique experience throughout this pandemic. You know, I, I'm glad you brought up their unique experience because it's one thing that they've had to try to reach their students and engage them and educate them, you know, whether it's in person or not in person. And like I said, the kids are, are dealing with so much more during the pandemic, but also they've had to explain to the parents what's going on or the parents are like, my kid isn't, isn't as smart or they don't have their books or they're, it's like, or they're blaming the teachers for whatever the, the ISD decided to do. The, the mm-hmm. teachers are in the, cross, the crossfire of all of this stuff, and, and sometimes that's very stressful. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, I I think you're leading into, you know, one of those taboo subjects, but it it turned very political, too. Yeah. And, you know. And that's stressful. Yeah, it's very stressful. And, you know, the kids, the younger they are, the less they really understand the political aspect of it. And and that creates even more anxiety and misunderstanding and them not knowing what or why or when or how their world is going to get back to a normalized fashion. They mm-hmm. don't have any control over, you know, when they go to school, how they go to school. Are you wearing a mask? Are you not wearing a mask? And then it gets political and school districts are doing five different things. And maybe, yeah. you know, maybe the middle school is doing something different than the grade school. And then you've got a child in both schools. And how do you explain to them that no, you know, you have to do this and nope, you're staying home because, you know, we still don't have um, vaccinations right. for certain ages. Right. So what, what do parents do who, you know, yeah. who are, it's, it's who want a, to get vac- their kid right. vaccinated? And, it's, it's a lot of crazy questions and extremes going on right now. And again, the kids are caught in it. And, and so are the, the teachers because the teachers are figuring out every morning how am I going to teach class and what kind of situations are, are we going to deal with as opposed to just literally three or four years ago where you only had to wonder if the, 
if the kid is paying attention or if they're being distracted by, you know, teenagers and their boyfriends or girlfriends or mm-hmm. practice after school or, you know, are they eating enough at home if they're getting their meals? It's, it's just so many more things. And, and again, I think that's why a lot of people are now actually confronting or not hiding the fact that my mental or my family's mental awareness or mental well-being is very important. Exactly. And I'd I'd like to give a shout out to all the teachers out there because I think we've been talking through the pandemic about, you know, our frontline health care workers, our firefighters, our law enforcement officers risking their lives with an unknown virus. You know, as we learn more, you know, people Mm -hmm. become more comfortable with what they're doing and what they need to do to keep themselves safe. But the teachers have not been nearly recognized enough. They went into the classroom when they had to go into the classroom, and they also risked their lives. Yes, they do, and and I've I've always given them special love because they are literally they have to be mentally strong, and they don't get paid a lot of money. They do this because they love what they do. They really get a joy, an innate joy, mm-hmm. from watching their students succeed and maybe come back to see them again and. You know, like I said, that's that's the empathetic part of our society. And that's why, you know, uh, a group like NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness and NAMI North Texas is so important. You play a huge role. And so we can't thank you enough as well. Can we can we talk about the walk that's coming up? Because, again, we were talking about all the different signs and how you're able to help people connect and how you're able to help people speak up or at least talk to each other or talk to someone that can help them and not let the burden stay within their mind or uh, stay locked up alone. Could you talk about some of the things that you're doing as well as this walk, but especially the walk and when the date is? Oh, yeah. Well, the date of the walk is May 21st. It's in the morning, and it will be at the Frisco Rough Riders Stadium. Nice. And pre-pandemic, we'd get over 1,000 walkers, and with their dogs, it's very dog-friendly. Oh, good. And we have games for the kids and vendors and community organizations that come out, so you have plenty of information and opportunities to find out what other resources are out there in the community. And most important, it's just it's a day of hope. It's a day of togetherness. It's a day to come and say, I have a mental illness. I'm not ashamed, and I want to be part of part of this community and we support each other or you know I'm a family member of somebody who has mental illness mm-hmm. and I'm walking for this family member and you know it's actually a a very positive empowering experience we have a lot of people who come and say I'm walking for my daughter who took her own life you know 2 years ago but it's a very empowering experience to be at that walk and amongst all of these other people sure. who have been through similar experiences and to know that that support is there. Yes, and, and that, that those that family people, is there. those families and those people who are there are no different than you or I or anyone else, that there's a commonality, and the commonality is we've all had some kind of crisis, whether it's, mm-hmm. you know, stress, anxiety, schizophrenia. It's about recognizing mental health. And that is a positive, not something that should be hidden. I like the fact that for those who don't know, North Texas, Nambi, North Texas, you know, they understand. You guys understand about mental health conditions and 
is for family members, friends, loved ones, local community, mental health professionals. You get you engage and hug everyone. And I like the fact that for those who don't know as well, that you're a nonprofit organization, a 501c3. Um, can you talk about how people can get involved other than just the walk or how they can reach you, whether it's online or a phone number? Absolutely. So if anyone needs any kind of assistance, we our phone line is available. We call it a warm line. Mm-hmm. Um, we will help you get connected to resources. We will get you connected to our support groups. Just call us at 214-341-7133 between 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. Monday through Friday. And we will do everything we can to help you find the resources you need. If you are looking at getting involved in our community, and we rely, we are a grassroots organization. So our staff, we make things happen. We implement programs. Mm -hmm. We are not the teachers of our classes, the facilitators of our support groups. Everything is peer-led. And so we need as many volunteers as we possibly can to go out and host a you know, an informational table at a health fair, um, participate in our support groups, and then become a, you know, be trained to be a facilitator and lead your own support group. The, the power of NAMI is empowering you to be able to tell your story and to make a difference in the world with your story. And so there's so many um, areas where you could be trained to tell your story to law enforcement officers. So they, when they go out into the community and they're called to a mental health incident, they know better what's happening with the family and right. with the crisis, and they make better decisions. Um, I, we just started a brand new program for law enforcement. Um, we're the pilot um, affiliate for, we're calling it OPS, Overwatch Peer Support. Mm-hmm. We're starting with law enforcement and it will expand to all first responders and healthcare workers, and we're talking about expanding it to teachers as well. But we just launched last week our ops program where we're offering one-on-one peer, confidential peer support for law enforcement officers. All a law enforcement officer has to do is give us a call. We will match them up with a trained officer from a, another North Texas Um, police department that is nowhere near your own Mm -hmm. because the stigma, I mean, there's certain professions where the stigma is super high. And one thing we found and part of the reason we created this program is that um, the stigma is so high in law enforcement and the first responder area because of what they have to do for their jobs, they cannot show weakness. And so they, it's like athletes or or soldiers. It's like athletes Mm -hmm. or soldiers. If you're strong, if you're a leader, you can't show weakness. And, that's a tough thing to navigate. Exactly. So we are implementing this program so that our law enforcement officers in North Texas have a place to go where nobody will know that they are seeking help. They will be connected to a peer. It's 100% confidential. And then that peer has been trained to know when they need more professional services, if they need a a clinician or if they need to go somewhere else. And then we work on connecting them with somebody who's specializes in trauma-based therapy. We've got to visit again, I think, right near the walk. How about in another uh, couple of months we visit again? Athena Trenton, the executive director of NAMI North Texas. Is that a deal? Can we do this? That is absolutely a deal. I would love that. You have been a pleasure to speak with this morning. Again, thank you for all that you do. 
Joining us now is Miss Betty Hersey. She's the executive director of DME Exchange of Dallas. How you doing, Miss Betty? I am doing very well. Thank you for calling. I am so glad you're with us because your organization is an amazing organization, organization that a lot of people may not have heard about. You guys collect or distribute medical equipment to individuals who need medical equipment such as wheelchairs, walkers, maybe uh, metal prosthetics. Could you talk about when you guys came along and the big impact you're having here in North Texas? Because I think it's phenomenal. It's not like, it's like, wait a minute, no one even thinks about this. They don't because generally when you go to the hospital, uh, you have insurance and they say you need this, this, and this, and it's delivered to your home. And so unless you have been in the position of not being able to access durable medical equipment, which we call DME, uh, you know, you aren't aware of it. You just assume that everybody is having the same experience you are. So this started uh, several years ago with uh, DAI, which is Dallas Area Interface. Mm -hmm. It's all the churches, synagogues, all of the people in Dallas. And they had what they call a listening campaign. And they were saying, what is it in Dallas that is not being covered? And, of course, one of the top five issues was medical for people who are low income. Uh, They simply do not have access to insurance. And Dallas is the highest uh, rated city for people to not have insurance coverage. Wow. And that's in the entire nation. Wow. One out of four people in Dallas do not have medical insurance coverage. And then some of the plans that they might be able to afford do not include DME. So DME is, is, like you said, dependable medical equipment. And it's like... Oh, durable. Durable medical equipment. And that includes canes, walkers, crutches, rollators, uh, bathroom uh, items such as uh, shower chairs, tub transfer benches, uh, raised toilet seats. We do wheelchairs, uh, patient lifts. And up until COVID, we were doing hospital beds, and we will go back to those once COVID is over, whoever is in charge of that. Now, Ms. Hersey, let's talk, let's walk through this thing for everybody who's trying to figure this out, because until I heard about your organization, I always thought that if you had an injury or an illness and you go to the hospital, they gave you all those things. No. Uh, what it is the law reads that they cannot dismiss or discharge a patient unless they have the proper DME. Wow. So that they could recover. Mm -hmm. Hospitals really don't have a a budget for that. And uh, we work primarily with Parkland, who does care for the city's indigent population. Mm-hmm. And uh, most, about 72% of the people we serve come from Parkland. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, our requirements are for service is that we need a 
physician to write a prescription for whatever item they need. We have to have proof that they're 200% below the poverty level, proof that they have no insurance that would pay for the items, and they must live in Dallas County. Now, at some point, we are going to expand other counties, but right now we're just trying to get this one down perfect. This is, this is an amazing thing that you're doing. Whose idea well, was it? And what and I like I said, this is something a lot of people don't know. They just assume, well, you go to the hospital and then you get all the equipment you need. You you need a wheelchair, you get that, you need a scooter, you'll get that. Well, the insurance has to cover that. Right. And also and, and also I guess I, and I guess I guess what you're also doing is allowing the hospitals to get the patients out of the hospital quicker so that more people can use the hospital. Exactly. What they found, it was sort of a, a, a problem that had a, a circular uh, uh, and, a, and associated problems with it. Uh, when a patient progressed to the point they could be discharged, mm-hmm. unless they had the proper DME and they had a plan you know, to, uh, for their recovery, they, the nurses and the social workers spent their time on the phone trying to find someone who would donate the equipment if the patient oh my didn't goodness. have coverage. So that took up the bed. It took up the nurses and the social workers' time. Mm-hmm. It was a great expense for the hospitals. And then this person wanted to go home, and he was just he was occupying a bed that he didn't need to occupy if there was something like us available. We're talking with Betty Hersey. She's the executive director of DME Exchange of Dallas. And let's continue down this path of explaining, because this is an interesting, fascinating story about that a lot of people don't understand how these things go. So where were people getting these this equipment? Were they, I mean, when the nurses would make, were they former patients? Was it like a, a goodwill kind of a place? I mean, where were the, where were they getting the stuff if it wasn't brand they new? Were, well, they had to uh, hope that either a vendor would donate something mm-hmm. or that they could find something that could be used. Now, the bad part about that was if it was used, it was not sanitized properly. Right. We're the only people in Dallas who have a medical salvage license that requires us to sanitize the state standards. So what happens is we ask for people to donate these items to us. We give them a tax receipt. We don't fill up all of the garbage piles with things that could be used again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, you know, the recycling sure. aspect of it is, is great. Uh, then we bring it in. We look at it for you know what needs to be done. We do minor repairs. Then we sanitize and we provide it free of charge to the patient, and they can keep it as long as they need to. We love it when they come back. We have one hospital bed that uh, came back six times. Wow! So it would you know we would send it out. The people either would you know recover. They didn't need it anymore, and then we would go pick it up re-sanitize it, it would go out again. This is such so, an awesome thing that you're doing. Can you talk again about how it started? I mean, we we know that the hospitals needed it, but whose idea was like, we need to do this, 
And then how were you able to get started? Well, did you have to get donations from people? Did you bring up the idea to somebody who was a, a really good benefactor? Just tell us all the details because this is fascinating. <laughs> well, what we did, it was, like I said, uh, a whisper campaign that was started. Uh, and every so often, uh, Dallas Area Interfaith has those kinds of things mm-hmm. to determine their next project. They focus on particular things and trying to come up with solutions for them. Okay. And the hospital, the the medical needs for people who uh, are low income and don't have insurance was one of the five items they came up with at that time. And there were different pieces of that medical need, but this is one that a group of people said, you know, I think we can do this Mm -hmm. uh, because one of the people on our uh, first group of individuals who got together, the steering committee, uh, actually had a wheelchair that he pulled up one evening in his, you know, sitting in his garage at his uh, mother-in-law had used and it was just sitting there and he thought you know this is ridiculous somebody could be using this exactly so he and uh there was about i guess about 15 people who got together at first they decided okay if we're going to do this who's done it before where can we get some guidelines Mm -hmm. what are the next steps so they spent two years planning this trying to get it to you know, put together, and uh, then finally in December of 2012, they got their approval from the state for a nonprofit uh, license. Sure. They got uh, uh, approval from the state as a medical salvage company, and everything just sort of came together. One of the members of the steering committee said, all right, I'll act as uh, executive director for a little while until we can find somebody and he went about setting up our office of course it has to be on the bus line because many of our patients do not have uh, transportation so we had to have that available to them it had to be in a part of town that we could afford Um, just a number of issues and we ended up being here over by Northwest Highway in Shiloh mm-hmm. uh, and opened up the, that December. We had uh, four patients who needed us, and they gave out seven pieces of equipment. So it, next thing, I was hired in March of 2013, and I've been here ever since. This is amazing. And and so I'm wondering, do you like have a warehouse now where you, you keep all the equipment? Yeah. Yes, we have a very small warehouse and wish we had a larger one, but right now that's not in our budget. Baby uh, steps. We're growing. Yeah, right. We're growing towards it. Mm-hmm. To date, we have helped uh, 5,104 patients and provided 6,726 pieces of DME to them. This is just absolutely wonderful. And I know you got tremendous response from the hospital, especially the nurses who are actually, their job used to be tracking down equipment. Right. We've saved them a great deal of time. And um, they actually put together a cleaning day and they will come over and uh, help us clean equipment one day a year or maybe twice a year. 
So it's a great relationship. Uh, all of the hospitals in Dallas, the clinics, mm-hmm. uh, individual doctors, individual therapists, and sometimes the people themselves call. And we set up a file, and of course they have to meet that criteria that I gave mm-hmm. you, and uh, then we can serve them. Now, we may not have exactly what that person needs at that moment, but we can put them on a waiting list, and as soon as it comes in and we process it, we give them a call, and they come and get it. So how do people find out about it? You mentioned when the company started, you know, the the nonprofit started, it was like a whisper campaign, and then the churches and Mm -hmm. the synagogues. Can you talk about how... You know, individuals hear about it. Do they hear about it at the hospital, at Parkland? How how do they figure out, oh, my goodness, I need to get out of the hospital, but I don't have the insurance for the equipment? How do they learn about DME exchange? The the nurses and the uh, social workers say, we have this this is available for people who do not have insurance to cover Mm -hmm. DME. And we have a very simple application. And it, you know, basically, we have to have the doctor's order. Right. They have to meet the 200% below the poverty level criteria that they have no insurance. They live in Dallas County. They send it to us, and you know, we're in business. Now, I'll, I have a question, and this is a naive question, but it's just a, a factual question. I needed. To, I was wondering about when the pandemic happened. Did it increase the demand, or did it, did it decrease it? And I only bring this up because I know. Uh, during the pandemic, you know, all the way up until like the last month or so, the hospitals were like really full with COVID patients. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of people who had re- regular accidents or whatever, they did, they couldn't get to the hospital. So I was wondering if your demand increased or did it decrease? Did it make it tough? Are there some stories that need to be told? <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> uh Certainly, the demand didn't go away because people were still ill and they still needed equipment. The only thing that we uh, limited was the hospital beds because we determined, because, you know, we started out, nobody knew anything about COVID. Right. And uh, I could not, in good conscience, send our technician into someone's house. Right. COVID. Right. So we decided until COVID was over, we would not do that. Everything else, uh, if we could get people to come to our office and pick up the equipment, either they can or they can send a family member or a friend to pick up whatever it is they need, that is absolutely the best at this point. We're just too little to be able to make deliveries you know, on sure. a, a regular basis. In other words, you're not, you're not Uber medical equipment. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, if they have a lot of equipment, if they're quite ill, you know, or they've been mm-hmm. in an accident or something, and they have a lot of equipment, we take it out there for them free of charge. Uh, same thing, you know, when they recover or they need us to pick it up, we will go out and pick it up. Uh, but other than that, we really ask if they come to the to our office to pick it up. And we're here Monday through Friday, 9 to 4. Uh, we have two full-time employees, and we have two part-time employees, and we have opportunities for people who like to volunteer. So that can either help with cleaning or repairing some of the equipment that comes in, mm-hmm. and then we have some spaces for people who help us with clerical work. 
It so, sounds like an amazing, always- amazing operation, an amazing nonprofit. In fact, Miss Betty, we have a mutual friend. We're talking with Betty Hersey. She's the executive director of DME Exchange of Dallas. We have a mutual friend named Donna, and Donna yes. was telling me a little bit about you. Can you can you share your story a little bit about how you got involved with this organization and kind of some of the stuff you've done in the past? Because I think you're one of the real heroes here in town. Oh, thank you. I, I'm one of many. Nonprofit uh, is it it is a calling. It you don't yeah, it's in your heart to it. It is. Uh, you have to really understand the need and why that thing should exist. Because in many instances, uh, something is put together because there is nothing that fills that need, and it's not profitable. Mm-hmm. So. Nonprofit is a challenge. You never have enough resources. You never have enough uh, bodies. You never have enough money. But you do the best job you can with what you have and always hope for more resources. But um, my, uh, I, I didn't plan on this, actually. Um, I was um, just a regular person. I thought I would have children. I thought I would, you know, raise my children and just travel or do whatever it is people do. Uh, and I ended up having a daughter who is a twin mm-hmm. uh, who has Down syndrome. Right. So there was really nothing available for her when she was born. And several of us uh, mothers got together and formed the Down syndrome guild and uh, began to feed information into the community. We began to have expectations for our children. Uh, The law came along that said we could have our children educated uh, in the public schools. Mm -hmm. So uh, I did that for a long time. I was here on a uh, just a board here in Dallas that we started, local board, and then I Ended up doing some state work and then some uh, national. I was uh, involved with the national agency that served people with Down syndrome. So from there, um, I was in my community, and a friend of mine's son had had a problem at school. I don't know if you remember, but in uh, late 89, they had uh, decided that they were going to put children who had been in communities that were sort of homogeneous. They were low-income communities. They thought they would put them out in the suburbs, but they forgot to tell the schools. So there was a lot of problem, a Mm -hmm. lot of tension. Right. And um, a friend of mine and I got together and started uh, Lake Highlands Community Center, and we would uh, have an after-school program. We designed an after-school program that would work with the children four days a week. Uh, we're in Lake Highlands, which is a big football center. Oh, so yes. we knew we would never get any volunteers on Friday night. So we did it Monday through Thursday. And back in and those we, days, Lake Highlands was winning state championships and stuff. So we uh, gave service hours for the kids from the high school who came to help us. And that worked out really well for those kids who were really busy during the school year and needed the service hours. 
but the other thing it did was it broke down a lot of barriers because the kids would see each other in, in the shopping center and they go, Hey, how are you? You know, and they got to know each other and mm-hmm. found out that the other one wasn't as scary as they thought they were. And so it, it was a, it was a good program. And I did that up until 1996, I believe. And I was asked, to uh, come and uh, work for, it was North Texas Taping and Radio for the Blind that didn't change to uh, Reading and Radio Resource. And it was an organization that uh, read books, textbooks, uh, novels, whatever was needed uh, to people who either had learning differences or they had vision problems or they had lost their sight uh, due to retinitis pigmentosa or macular degeneration, something like that, or or just simply old age, Mm -hmm. that they no longer could hold a book and read it or hold their newspaper. The other side of that agency was uh, our radio reading service that read the newspapers to people. It had all kinds of programs. It had an exercise program. It had a travel program. We did a lot of novels. We serialized those. Um, our newspaper, we did uh, Dallas Morning News and the Fort Worth paper. Mm-hmm. And then we expanded to uh, Austin. We took over that service. You are and, so uh, good at this. And again, <laughs> it's like like it's like it's your calling. And so that's why I'm so glad that we're able to have you on the show. And for those who, again would like to know more about DME, Exchange of Dallas. Can you talk about where they could find you? Is there a website? I know. Is there a yeah. phone number? And, and, and again, ex- explain about the medical equipment one last time because I think you've, you've, really, you've really come into something that people really, really need and a lot of people don't know about. Um, it, well, we're an organization that accepts donations of durable medical equipment. DME. And we, we provide a tax receipt for those people who donate. Uh, then we take it in, do minor repairs, and then we sanitize to state standards and provide it free of charge to people who have a doctor's prescription for an item or several items. They have uh, proof that they are 200% below the poverty level proof that they have no insurance that would cover the cost of the equipment needed and that they live in Dallas County. So part of the uh, the insurance is there could also just be a gap in coverage. Which sure. Means that, uh, say, your insurance does not cover bathroom equipment, mm-hmm. which most of them don't. So we know automatically if they if they qualify for our program because of no insurance and the uh, financial piece, that that is just automatically going to be given to them. Uh, there are other people who sometimes cannot afford to pay the deductible that they have. And so we will look at that to see if they meet our other criteria, and we will be able to help them. So uh, we're here Monday through Friday, 9 to 4. We love 
volunteers. We love people who donate. And uh, the people who receive our equipment are are just so grateful. Yes. Uh, I wish people could see their faces. I mean, people usually leave here with a God bless you or I couldn't have done this on my own. And, you know, thank you so much. This was is going to help us uh, be, you know, to take care of, of a family member or a friend. And um, it, I, I just wish they could see them. We had uh, one fellow who came in and needed a, a wheelchair. He was unable to walk. And we gave it to him. And he picked up his two little girls and put them on his knees and said, isn't this fantastic? He said, now, you know, we can play together. We, we, we'll have more time with each other. And took him out in the parking lot and took a picture of him. That I mean, he was amazing. Just really so appreciative of the effort, you know, to provide him with that wheelchair. Well, we are appreciative of having you on the show. In fact, it is a godsend, and you are a true blessing. Miss Betty Hersey, she's the executive director of DME Exchange of Dallas. And again, she is one of the people who are making a big impact in Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm Chris Arnold of 105.3 The Fan, thanking you for joining me. And join us again next week on another edition of Better Living. So long, everybody. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. T-Mobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.